0: thanks everybody for taking the time to tune in today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. Today, we're going to talk about a very interesting subject. Uh, This is something that's very controversial, depending on where you are and depending on how much research you've done. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, a very specific term that people kind of associate with um, shadowy groups. We're going to talk today about what's called the New World Order. Everyone has their own opinion on what that term means. Uh, There's factual things to back that up with and there's conspiracy theorists to back that stuff up with. But one of the biggest things that uh, that we're we're kind of taking a look at here is people often like to speak in generalities, as in they will say they or them or whoever, whatever, you know, but they're not specific. So what are we going to do tonight? We're going to break down each individual group that we think is most prevalent when people mention this term. So we're going to do the best we can here with this tonight. Uh, this is going to be probably one of the most interesting podcasts I think we've done up to this point, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to try and make sure that we can keep it within a decent amount of time, but we may run over just a little bit. But to be fair, with the topics we're going to cover tonight, I'm going to give a little leeway uh, if we do run over, because I think these are important points. So essentially, you kind of floated an idea to me the other day, Marty. It's good to see you, by the way. It's good. <laughs> thanks for yeah. thanks for being here. Um, good to be. You floated an idea by me the other day about, you know, we should put something together on what we expect from society. And I took that in my own head as where we were, where we are, and where we think we need to go. You know, I thought it was a really interesting point, Uh, A really interesting concept to get into. You were focusing everything around that on what people call they. And when I say that, we had a conversation on our last, I think it was our last coronavirus pandemic update podcast. I think it was episode 50. When you flat out asked me, you said, are you talking about a group of people that are coming together to form a new world order? And I said, yes, but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, this is some kind of like big shadowy group or or something of that nature or or whatever. Uh, And there's some big global conspiracy. That's not what that means. And we've heard people say it, but... We've talked about it before. Uh, now, what does that mean? All that means is, I mean, it's happened time and time again throughout history. It's simply we have an established order now. In the last hundred years or so, that order has changed uh, several times, or even the last you know five hundred years, that order has changed several times. So it's not a, it's not essentially like this shadowy conspiracy group that's going to come in and it's just. One order is taking the place of another order because one group lost power and another group is coming in to take over that particular power. Case in point, I, I'm sorry to use this this term, but uh, England, okay, when you faltered as the world empire the U.S. kind of stepped in and, and took that over. Uh, and Now, do I agree with that? No. Uh, but We can probably go an entire hour just on that point that I just made right there uh, on, you know, the benefits and the the downsides of each of those. But without taking up any more time of uh, this long rambling intro that I'm trying to do here, let's get on to some of this stuff. So we're going to talk about some interesting groups tonight. We're going to talk about some interesting groups of people. Now, when we talk about they, OK, I'll tell you what. Marty, this was, your, this was your idea, okay? So I'm going to let yeah. you lead up to this for before I start listing off some of these groups before we delve into each one of these. So why don't you give everybody your take on, on what you were talking about when you brought this to me?
1: Right. The way I see things is that when people do air quotes and say they, when they're talking about any conspiracy theory, they do themselves no favors. They need to or we need to, the rest of society that is not conspiring some some mad plan, we need to identify the organizations or the individuals that are and name them and show uh, undeniable proof that there is reason to be concerned. For instance, with COVID-19 and the effect that this flu is having on the entire world's economies and the, the, the power grabs that we are seeing, we need to establish, is this deliberate? Is it an accident? Are people taking advantage of it? And who are they, if it was a deliberate act, who implemented it and to gain what? So the first thing I did was uh, send you a list of the usual suspects. Um, yes, you that do. People mean when they do air quotes and say, they, you know, they want to do this to us, they're trying to do that. So I, I, I've made that list just so that we can get it out there and point fingers at the people uh, and organizations that the conspiracy theorists tend to pick on. Because I think a lot of people are making links that simply aren't there. I don't believe in a global conspiracy. I think it's way too big to actually make it work. There may be organizations that have global influence that are working towards some form of new world order, but let's name them. Let's find out who they are, because until we do, we can't fight back. So, you know, it's, If you're going to start yeah. a shooting war... You need to know what color your enemy's uniform is. So. <laughs> that, that red versus blue, right? Yeah, that's, that's where that yeah, started. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, okay, exactly. So let's. Uh, all right, fair, fair enough. And I, by the way, I do agree with you. I, I think that it's it's too big, and I, I can explain as we get into these groups and as we get into you know the means and all that stuff that we're going to talk about and all this. I can explain why I think you know that I concur with you that it's. Um, that it's too big. However, there's joining factions and factors in all this that can play to advantages and disadvantages of both sides and all these different factions. So we'll get into all that stuff. So let's start with this one. Okay, so we're going to go down through, as Marty said, we're going to talk about the usual suspects first. So let's talk about the first thing you listed here. Uh, let's talk about the followers of the killergy plan. Up until we started this tonight, I had heard of this, but I wasn't really in tune with particularly what this was. I've heard of it like I said, but I've never looked into it because I just I, I don't know. I just haven't had the, the need to or, or none of my research in all of the piles and piles of books that I've read uh, have led me down that path yet. So I tend sometimes I'll just veer off of someone or something and I'll get started on that. And oddly enough. Nothing's really taken me to that point, and I'm not quite sure why. Or maybe I saw other parts of it, which I think I have, but you're telling me the way you describe this is, this is essentially the inception of the research that I've been reading anyway. So what's the Kalergi plan?
1: Count Richard von Kudenhove Kalergi. He was born in Tokyo, and he was uh, half Hungarian, half Japanese. Uh, He was a pioneer of the European integration plan. And he served as the founding president of the Pan-European Union for 49 years. Born in 1894, died in 1972. The Kalergi plan is supposed to be exactly that. Now, there are ad hominem arguments that right-wing racists have deliberately misconstrued what Kalergi wrote which describes a multiracial labour force in Europe and that they would be ruled over by an elite 1%. So to create a non-Caucasian, so a multiracial mixed-race workforce within the borders of of the continent of Europe, here, of course, would have required mass immigration. And you can see the echoes of that in the UN plan, which you'll no doubt, give us more detail on Johnny. But that's yeah, it's, that's Count, Count Richard von kudenhoff
0: Okay. Yeah, the plan that you're speaking of is is something. I mean, this is a public plan. anybody can go and read this. I mean, they haven't they haven't been uh, secretive about it or, or anything. I mean, these are documents as well as other UN documents I'll be talking about tonight. These are things that you can go and look up yourself, uh, and they're more than happy to put them out there in PDF form so you can read them. It's called the UN Replacement Migration Program, and this is precisely it's essentially it's. I mean, that's that policy. It what it is is essentially you're bringing in people from outside of the borders of, in this case, would be the EU. And essentially, this is being done in the United States as well, with the immigration coming up from the southern border. And uh, they're using this. This is a UN plan. This is a United Nations plan. And by the way, you can connect other things into this, documented evidence of actually connecting things into that. But the Replacement Migration Program, what does this do? This is essentially, this is the New Age Kalergi plan, is what you laid out from Count, what What was his name again? Count, uh,
1: uh, Count Richard von... Kudenhove or Kalergi. So yeah, okay, um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But this is the modern day plan of this, and and what did this do? Right, this opened the door to migration. And I let's be clear here: I have no problem with people that are immigrating. I myself am a product of immigration, so I have no quarrel with that whatsoever, as long as it's done legally. However, it's being done on a mass scale. Now, if you're going to, uh, common sense tells you, if you're going to bring in people from another country, wherever that's from. It doesn't doesn't particularly matter. But you need to do it in an orderly fashion. Because if you don't, then you risk a few things. You risk overwhelming strain on your infrastructure. You risk non-assimilation and societal breakdown. So you have to make sure that you have a, a nice balance in there. And this particular plan, this replacement migration program, is abhorrently against that. It, it basically uh, seeks to overwhelm everything that I just said that, that people would do, that a society would do from a common sense standpoint. So it's using an international body to supersede the rule of nation states in order to overwhelm their population. And as you can see in Western nations in general, uh, whether it's the United States or uh, Germany, especially, or France or, or the UK, birth rates are down. You know, by the numbers, the birth rates are down. So we're having 1.2 children. The ones that are coming in that are uh, immigrating in the first five to 10 years are having 5.6 children. Well, I'm not a mathematician, but it doesn't take a mathematician to figure out what that's going to do in a very short amount of time. So this is essentially from my research. This is what I'm taking away from this. You're saying that the research that I've done into this policy that's being brought down by the United Nations is essentially the brainchild. Well, yeah, uh, this Kalergi fellow was the brainchild of that policy, but it's for the new age. It's brought up to the new age.
1: Yeah, and and don't forget, Kalergi was around till 72, and he served 49 years, 50 years on this pan-European Union, which was probably the embryonic, you know, organization for the European Union. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So- The United Nations, bearing in mind that the majority of countries that signed up to the UN were originally the European nations and the United States. So it's no wonder that someone with that kind of influence is going to have an effect on policies moving forward to the UN as well.
0: Let's jump over to this next group here. Which you know what? Now, now you got me curious. Now I'm going to go look into this Kellergy fellow because I've read the end result of his of his uh, his initial idea. So now I want to see this. The Freemasons. Yeah. This is a this is a group we hear constantly about. You always see things on television and in newspapers, you know, this is a, a shadowy group or what goes on at, uh, at these uh, buildings that they meet at, you know, are they doing devil worship in there? Uh, are they trying to, are they plotting to take over the world? <laughs> I mean this is what we hear. So um,
1: and, and wh- yeah you're going to hear things like that about any organization that does things behind closed doors. I don't believe for a moment that the Freemasons or all Freemasons because it's a global um, organization uh have anything to do with any of these uh, sinister plots. I believe I heard it described as not a secret society but a society with secrets. And I would say for the vast majority of Freemasons globally, I can't speak for them, but I, I would imagine that it's a perfectly innocent way of you know expressing yourself and doing things for charity. Having said that, in the past, bearing in mind how far Freemasonry goes back, there's a distinct possibility that groups of people, through their connection to three Freemasonry, have indeed conspired in certain things. That it's it's almost impossible to imagine. That over however many hundreds of years of Freemasonry, that at some point or another, one group of Freemasons may or may not have conspired to conceal a crime, to further each other's business uh, endeavors, and, and those kind of things. So I'm not pointing a finger at Freemasonry, but I'm saying it's one of the usual suspects. For the reasons I've just stated.
0: Yes, that's true. Uh, and I do hear a lot about it. Uh, as, as you said, if you go back uh, in history, then there's a lot of famous faces that you'll see. Um, anybody that's out there, you can Google or if that's what you use, you can Google or Bing or whatever it is you use these days.
1: The first thing a conspiracy theorist does to, to build his link or her links is, first of all, identify someone and then see if they may or may not have been a Mason. Because as soon as they do that, that's link one made as far as the conspiracy theorist is concerned. Mm -hmm. And I I believe Kudenhove Kalergi was a Mason. Okay.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, there's there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of US presidents have been Masons uh, before. I mean, the founding fathers of America, which you call traitors.
1: No, I'm not going to call the presidents and the, the founding fathers of the United States traitors anymore because we all should live and learn. And my opinions have changed. I still am anti-French. No offense to French. Um, We have French listeners. Merci beaucoup. I know. (laughs) Je t'aime mon brave. I still obviously rankle a little bit at the fact that what was such a fantastic empire started to fall apart because of us being busy fighting the French, while Englishmen basically um, didn't want their their form of government. They wanted no taxation without representation. And if it hadn't have been for the Revolutionary War, the concept of freedoms and democracy that the developed world has these days wouldn't be the same. We would still be that 4 log tugging race of people that uh, did what our aristocrats told us. So without the Revolutionary War... Modern democracy wouldn't exist, so I no longer consider the founding fathers to be traitors. There, I've said it.
0: Okay, Uh, I think we just lost half of our English audience because of uh, an (laughs) Englishman saying that publicly. So, but okay, anyway, Freemasons, like like I was saying, you know, look, there's always been, you know, one of their uh, one of their meeting places, shall I say, um, (laughs) in the hometown where I grew up. In, I've run across them all across the world. I've seen some of the stuff that they do. At least, you know, like I said, where I come from, I can speak you know on it because I would always see them out there charity raising fundraising offering scholarships to to kids to go to college and then of course you had other organizations that would branch off from them in the United States specifically we have a group called the Shriners they operate based on fundraising and they give all their money to what are called the Shriners Hospitals, and they offer free medical care to children all across the United States. So you know it's 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 charity care. So I mean, when I see people come out and, and say things like that against those organizations that offer those things, I mean, if you want to make connections or whatever to famous people, okay, so be it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that filters across to everybody. So yeah, that that's my take on the Freemasons. Let's get to the next one here: the Chinese Communist Party. Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> yeah, where do you want st- to where do you want to start with them?
1: Well, Right before the fall of the Soviet Union, Glasnost, Perestroika, and all those kind of things, China was really struggling to find its way and was being led by Russian Soviet communism, and that was the you know that was what happened. But with the fall of the Soviet Union, the peaceful fall of the Soviet Union, China came into its own, and it's a very very different way of life. It's the last bastion of a communist socialist way of living it's a huge country it's got lots of people but it's had and i'm not sure for how long for probably about 58 50, 60 years now it's had a totalitarian government or is it is it less time than that uh, 49 think? 49s when mao 49 yeah yeah so so yeah we are talking about 50 plus years and for them to exist and and to thrive they need certain things But they could actually be quite isolationist. The country could probably feed itself. But people are greedy, and they've had their expectations raised. So their middle class, their their higher earners have had their expectations raised. And the government, in order to control, you know, 2 billion people uh, or thereabouts, are having to pander to their upper middle classes, the people who are running businesses and banks, at the same time, control their massive working class and agricultural class population. So yeah, they must be up to something, is all I can say. They, They must be up to something. The proxy wars fought in Southeast Asia. On one side, you had the US and the rest of the West. And on the other side, you had China backing the satellite countries, Korea, Uh, Vietnam, where those proxy wars were being fought. So they've never really declared peace or sued for peace because they've been fighting to expand Chinese communism throughout Asia ever since.
0: Well, I think you could go all the way, you could go back to to Mao in 49. Now, how did that start, right? The Maoist revolution took place. I mean, Mao was a nobody, right? He was in... uh, yeah, he was a, a ragtag group of twelve hundred people up in the middle of the uh, up in the little, middle of the mountains somewhere. And so, what did he do? You know, he trained his brigades and uh, his Mao's brigades and everything up there, uh, and then brought him down. Well, he was losing, and he was losing badly. Now, this is in mainline history books, um, and anyone's welcome to go and look this stuff up. What I'm going to talk on here on how this all transpired and how uh, China's been brought up to this point that they are now. So, you had Mao come down out of the hills, was going against uh, it was kai Shek uh, was. Was the uh, the Western backed force that was uh, that was pitted against that, and so the U.S. military, who was in charge of the detachment in uh, in China during the guerrilla wars uh, with Mao, uh, he was backed by uh, the U.S. armed forces. Mainly, it was the Air Force and in uh, the U.S. Army, uh, and they were they were being used in that sense was the uh, the proxy war. And so, what was going on there? The OSS had arranged shipments of weapons and supplies to Southeast Asia. And it was due to resupply the armies of Chiang Kai-shek. Well, what happened? Well, he never got those. So what happened to those shipments? Those shipments that were sent over by the OSS, which later became the CIA, that's what we're dealing with now, those shipments were diverted to Mao Zedong. Now, It's not clear precisely why or if it was intentional or if it was accidental. The fact is, is that those supplies and those munitions went to Mao and it allowed him to expand his brigades uh, and and grab further and further control. And so at the time, the U.S. Armed Forces that were that were there were being told, ordered in this case by the OSS to pull out uh, and to come back. Now, that's all that I've read in the history books. Now, you can make your own assumption on that if you like. Uh, But I mean, it doesn't take a scientist to figure out what two and two is here. Now, as you were mentioning further in Southeast Asia, namely in this this case, we can talk Korea, right? Northern Korea, what happened there? It was one Korea, but what happened? We were pushing north and then you had a Russian backed faction in the north run by a kid by the name of Kim Il-sung, which is Kim Jong-un, the current dictator of North Korea was his grandfather. And so you had General MacArthur at the time who was leading the charge there there uh, in Korea and was pushing north and essentially could have taken all of Korea within 10 days. Within 10 days, we could have had that wrapped up. We could have done it using uh, the pincer uh, maneuver, pincer maneuver, where you actually you go in and on the north, got the uh, the line coming up in the south, and then you, you have the troops advancing down or southward, and then you just close it up. That's what we could have done. We could have done it in 10 days. What happened? Again, MacArthur was told, pull back, pull back. Okay, why? This part's not clear. You know, this is what uh, historians have been puzzled with up to this point. Not long after that, you had the establishment of the 38th parallel, the country was divided, and you've had a stalemate ever since. There was never a ceasefire put in there, as uh, as you said. So what happened after that? General MacArthur was essentially, he was given the hero's welcome, right? He was brought home, and he was essentially, he was forced to retire. Now, why was he forced to retire? You had a very heavy influence in the offices of the OSS at the time by Texas oil money, shall we say. Now, I don't have to tell anybody what the biggest family in modern history has been in the last... 50 to uh, 75 years in the United States when it comes to Texas oil money. People can make their own minds up on who that is. But they had a lot to do with the fact of him being taken out of circulation, MacArthur, I mean. And so we've had this problem festering ever since. Now, if you want to further that and go on with you know, how you could make the connections there, you've got Western corrupt elements at this point that have seen this over time. And they've seen uh, China as being... Essentially, a uh, a place where they can do their dirt, you know, do their dirty business and, and things like this. This is why we've seen a slow progression of deindustrialization, transfer of production and 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 things of that nature to the Chinese, to the Far East. And we'll get into the next group uh, when it relates to this. You can argue, you know, whatever you want on that, uh, and people are welcome to their own opinions. I'm only stating what I've read in mainline history books about the formation of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, and this to me, is what's happened. You had a corrupt element in the United States that put Mao Zedong in in 49, and they've used this as a launch pad to springboard themselves into the future. And I'll explain why when we get to another one of these groups. Do either one of you have anything else on uh, the CCP?
2: Project 2025. Um, I think that's a their modern day grasp at trying to. uh, Yes, it's it's them trying to advance their technologies and whatnot. But one of the key things they're working on is AI, artificial intelligence. And these organizations have said, once we get AI, you know, we can rule the world, basically. So, yeah, I, I think they're a global contender in this.
0: Right. Well, I mean it's also like I said, you got corrupt western elements that have decided to go and do their dirt there, mainly big tech companies, right? They've gotten in bed with with the chaicoms, right? That's where all this is coming from. The Ch- the Chinese Communist Party couldn't do that. Communism doesn't produce that. It's, I mean, that, that's laughable. You've got Western technology, innovation and know-how that have done the business over there because they will do whatever they need to do as far as repressing a population in order to facilitate that plan. They can get away with that over there. It takes a little bit longer to implement that here. The beta test is there. Now we're starting to see it rolled out here.
1: Look at a picture of Chiang Kai-shek. See him stood there in all his gold braid and his medals and his imperialistic general visage, is it? You know, the facade uh, of an imperial general. When Mao Zedong took over with his little plain black suit, it was a clear statement that China isn't going this way. China's now for the people. It's a swing of good guy to bad guy. As far as the Western world was concerned, Chiang Kai shek was the good guy because, you know, the Western world. Capitalism fears communism. So it's hardly surprising that someone somewhere along the line managed to divert those funds and those arms to the other side. Whereas before, Chiang Kai shek was supposed to be the re- receiver of those funds. Anyway, all I'm saying is he was the exact opposite of the, you know, he wasn't a communist. He, he was of a mind to be lifelong president of the Republic of China. And it, you know, he lost that battle in 49 against uh, Mao Zedong's forces.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, this next one. I think we can lump this into uh, into one here. Let's talk about the UN and the World Health Organization. Where would you like to start with it? Because uh, I think we could do a whole week-long thing on just these people.
1: Well, you yourself have told me about the dots that join up WHO and the Chinese Communist Party, and vice versa, the dots that join up the World Health Organization and the United Nations. And... Again, when the conspiracy theorist says they, particularly currently with COVID-19 ravaging across the face of the earth and the World Health Organization, we know sponsors and conducts research into coronaviruses. And we're pretty sure that the coronaviruses that were being worked on and researched in Wuhan in their level four research lab. Originated under a patent, for goodness' sake, from or, or via the World Health Organization, or am I way off mark there?
0: No, no, you're, I don't think you're off there. The research that we w- we were able to to go back on and, and uh, be able to verify is you had connections between. I mean, this is documented, so this is not something we're just you know blowing smoke out and we're making this up. And people are welcome to research it for themselves and form their own opinion on it. But you had connections that would lead us t- directly to the Wuhan lab. And you had elements from the National Institute of Health, the Food and Drug Administration, and the World Health Organization. You had all these people involved in all this. Does this mean, okay, now, let, let's make something clear. People talk about the connections of this thing. And you say, okay, well, uh, is is that in fact, a, a man-made virus that we're dealing with? Technically, okay, the, the, the initial samples, okay, the initial samples had to come from nature, right? That That's, that's clear here. Now, the problem is, is where it becomes manipulated in a laboratory, which this is a chimeric virus. So you have, you know, essentially, I explained this on on one of our uh, uh, coronavirus podcasts, our pandemic uh, update podcast. And essentially what it is, it's a chimeric virus. They essentially welded another virus onto it. So it's two, uh, almost, well, three viruses in this case, because you had a targeting system that was attached to that. And so if you want to call that man-made... You can, because it's initially parts of it are initially from nature, but the rest of it had to be added onto it. So it's like an open source software. You just kind of add things to it. And that's what they did here. They just added things onto it. Now, whether or not uh, that's some kind of a a big you know conspiracy, rather this got out of a lab, I don't know. We'll probably never know. It's one of those things that history will just kind of scratch its head over. But the World Health Organization, you can see that they tout the same line as the Chinese Communist Party. You can see this. They came out in the initial stages, the Chinese Communist Party, they came out and they said that they had evidence that there was no human to human transmission. The World Health Organization later that that I think was that same week said exactly the same thing. They said there's no evidence of human to human transmission. They've come out saying that the world doesn't need to be limiting travel. You don't need to be closing your borders. You don't need to stop commerce, uh, any of this stuff. The CCP was saying that all along. So they're, they're following the same lines. We, we listen to some of their department heads give speeches, and you can tell that they're talking Chinese Communist Party propaganda. I mean, this, this guy, uh, uh, what, what was it, Bruce? The, the one interview we watched where uh, the Hong Kong news agency was trying to get an interview with this guy to get him to talk about Taiwan, and he just completely dodged all the questions, everything. And then he was he just he dodged it, and he, he would talk up China. Constantly. Or he, he came out later and he says, well, if I had the coronavirus, I'd want to be hospitalized in China. I wouldn't want to be hospitalized in the United States. Who says something like that? Regardless if it's the U.S. or any other country, who says something like that? So the fact that the, the Chinese Communist Party essentially, I mean, uh, you can see what's actually happening. They're, they're touting the same lines, the same propaganda, the same talking points. And so uh, they they essentially went in and they bought the WHO, which in this case, the WHO is the, the medical wing of the United Nations. I mean, it's the same organization.
1: You can follow the money and make those associations. And if you just look at the circumstantial evidence of the World Health Organization echoing the advice... And and the party standpoint of the Chinese Mm. Communist Party Mm. over COVID-19, the outcome of not shutting borders when they should have done, of not advising that it was communicable between people has resulted in a global pandemic. So there are dots that could be joined up there. As long as we're willing to say the World Health Organization is almost bought and paid for by the Chinese Communist Party. And of course, they will just reiterate the Communist Party line, the Chinese Communist Party line. The next question is, that may just be, you know, misplaced loyalty or blatant corruption. But if the leak of the virus if it was deliberate, then it makes the World Health Organization complicit in it. And it also explains that, you know, the the why is dead easy, because it's wrecking the rest of the world's economies. And China knows owning 97% of the world's rare earth metals, as as you've pointed out to me, and having such a big stake in all the tech products that the whole world is absolutely desperate for and can't do without now, stands to gain regardless. So the rest of the world falls into decay for a little while. China becomes isolationist and feeds its vast population on the bare minimum, and it comes out the other side with world markets that are so weak that they can easily be taken advantage of, and China just becomes stronger and stronger financially, whereas the Western economies can't do what China can do and shut down and control their populations as much as as they do. Oh, hang on. I'm in lockdown, aren't I? I can't leave my house i oh, that was another to actually go into my office. I'm yeah, not, that was another uh, talking point. To go and mix with other people. So you know, maybe they can control us as much as they want to. No, that it, was another talking is, point. They were the... talking
0: about the World Health Organization. They were talking about how wonderful a job China's done through all this and how their we model saw
1: the videos of people being welded into their apartment blocks. Yeah, that's not a wonderful job. That state-sanctioned uh, brutality. But anyway, we're not supposed to dwell too long on on it, and we've gone back to the, yeah. the Chinese Communist Party. So. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm guilty. Well, this, clearly, there's clearly there's a, a link here in this, and I, and I say this because now, see, China's got egg on their faces, right? They've they've got egg on their faces through this virus thing. So it's been it's been a constant thing of self preservation. I'm talking about for the party. It's a constant thing of self preservation and deflection. This is how communist parties operate throughout history, right? I've studied communism and fascism and collectivism and socialism. In general for the last decade or longer. And I'm telling you, this is precisely what these people are doing. They're passing the blame and they're in self-preservation. That's what they're doing. You can see that. So what are they doing now? They're using the WHO and the United Nations to push their agenda and carry the weight for them because these are the organizations that they've bought. They clearly they've bought the World Health Organization, United Nations. China was just given a seat on the UN Human Rights Council. Are you kidding me? Are you absolutely are you are you are you being serious right now? They were given a seat on the UN Human Rights Council. That's the last country they've killed eighty million of their own people that we know of. You're going to give them a, a seat on the Human Rights Council? You've got this organization now that's in a that's a, that's vying for power. I'm talking about the UN. I mean, I I can go on and on. I, the the UN head just came out the other day and made a statement. Now let let me just let me just read this real quick, okay? This is the UN chief. Okay, he says the pandemic must be used to deindustrialize the West. And to transition to green energy, we have a rare and short window of opportunity to rebuild our world for the better. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've got someone in the United Nations saying that we need to deindustrialize Western civilization, what about the East? So he sounds to me like he's placating to carry a, a benefit for Far Eastern countries. Now, not just China. China's not the only one. India's involved in this as well. You know, they're they're on the upswing. What,
1: what nationality is this guy
0: uh his name is Antonio Gutierrez. So I don't know precisely where he's so, from.
1: Uh, he could be Italian, Spanish, it could be Brazilian, I don't know. Brazilian, yeah. yeah. I well, I'm flabbergasted that the United Nations thinks that we need to deindustrialize the West. well, it's, no, this is nothing
0: new. This is nothing new. You had the guy well, you had the likes of guys it, like Maurice Strong, the Rio Climate Summit of 1992. Okay. I mean, he he came out and he made statements like this. He says, "In order to save the planet, isn't the only hope for the planet that the industrialized civilizations collapse? Isn't it our responsibility to bring that about?" He said that in '92. Yeah,
1: well, most of us, me back in '92, I was at sea having a great time just doing my job. <laughs> right, I, right. I didn't, I didn't pay attention to global politics. Most adults walking around at the moment weren't even born in in 1992. Because mm-hmm. it was how long ago? Uh, twenty-eight years.
0: Yeah, but so th- my point is, this is a long-term plan. This is not something that they just conjured up in the last few years. This is a long-term. These discussions,
1: yeah, these discussions go behind closed doors. They're not made public. They're not pointed out, uh, or were not pointed out by journalists saying, "Wow, look at this! Look what they're going to do! This will mean this." Because it's easy to uh, extrapolate that one statement that you need to de-industrialize the West to save the planet mm-hmm. into, you know, a complete downfall of the civilizations that we in the West enjoy. So why wasn't it pointed out? Why weren't more people aware of what was being said and being sown into UN plans, which have become EU plans, which have become... World Health Organization plans and this is what we are trying to establish or at least get people to think about that some of these links simply don't exist, but others are there and very real.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the EU. What, what do you have on the EU? Where do you want to go? I well, sure. we could talk well, talk for a while on this. We've we've had a lot of conversations so here about the European look, Union.
1: Let's 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 cut to the chase. The EU is a plan for a European superstate. It is no longer just a common market, a simple trade agreement whereby everyone benefits from free and fair trade across the, the boundaries of, of the member states. The first thing that put us, uh, you know, a spanner in the works for, for most Brits was the freedom of movement, the fact that people could come to the UK to work. Now, actually, we need some of those people, so that's fine but it got abused, it got abused, and slowly but surely, our own governments used the fact that trained and capable people could be provided from elsewhere in Europe, Europe. and therefore we didn't need to train and develop our own people. And whole generations lost out on the the education and training that would have put them into several professions, you know, particularly within healthcare, within computing within all kinds of, of areas so now if you go and buy a coffee in london or any major city in one of the you know globally franchised coffee providers the person who's serving you won't come from london or manchester they'll come from lisbon or budapest or any european country because the british people aren't going into those sort of jobs if you go into a hospital the majority of the people are, of course, of British descent, but there is a very high minority of other countries. And that's because those those highly qualified people are cheaper to import than they are to train. And that's why we haven't trained our, our own people. Our successive governments, thanks to the freedom of movement, have degraded our training and education infrastructure.
0: Do you think that the European Union is, uh, is and I'm, I'm referencing, uh, do, do you remember the the guy that they had, you know, the, the puppet guy they had up there a few years back, uh, Van Rompuy, you remember him? The, the guy from Belgium
1: I, I honestly can't say I do remember okay I've only recently started to pay proper attention to what's going on in the world and, okay. uh, and I'm not terribly impressed <laughs> thus far
0: uh, yeah I'm not either but this guy that they had up there you know just some some guy that they stuck up there in a suit um he came out and said I mean I, I watched him about 10 years ago he he came out and said that the European Union was to be the blueprint for world government now I could believe that to a certain extent uh if it wasn't an abject failure but But the problem is here is this is typical of what you see across large governmental organizations be it's you know the United Nations or the Soviet Union or you know in the past of course or the European Union in the modern age and it's not that they come out when they when they make a mistake which let's be honest here this whole idea of Europe i mean look what it's done right look look at what in the world these people have done right they have destroyed the culture of these countries they've destroyed the economies of these countries and on top of that with this open border policy with this pandemic. It's just made it a nightmare. It's made it an absolute nightmare. So what would you, as a normal thinking person, say to something like this, of this magnitude that you've caused these poor people? You would say, if you're a good-minded person, you would say, okay, I've made a mistake. We shouldn't have done this. uh, and, And we need to get back to how things were before all this because we were dealing with things a lot better. But no, what is happening? They're not admitting fault. You notice governments like this never admit fault. They always double down. And this is what's happening. This is what they're doing now. They're not coming out and admitting fault. They they, they couldn't do that. That would hurt their credibility, which they don't have, by the way, by and large. They're doubling down. They're saying we need more. And on top of that, I mean, the EU and as as far as I'm concerned, they're irrelevant. They're completely irrelevant. And further evidence of that is in the last few days, actually, to any good citizen of Europe who's listening to this. The EU put out a report condemning the Chinese Communist Party on their handling initially of this outbreak. Well, the Chinese Communist Party got a little upset. And what'd they do? They leaned on those, those useless lumps of skin, I think you called them, in, uh, in Brussels. <laughs> yeah, in, in Brussels. And what'd they do? They retracted the report that they put out. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? The European Union are nothing but a bunch of spineless gophers. That's all they are. They do what they're told. Now, who do, they do, who do they do what they're told by? Well, if you retract a report that you put out that's critical of the Chinese Communist Party and they get upset, I'm not joining dots here. I'm just pointing out the obvious. If they get upset and you retract that, who do you think that they're trying to appease? That's all I'm going to say.
1: Yeah, um, of course, they're, they're, they are trying to appease them. However, if they were in the pay of the Chinese Communist Party, the report would have never been put out. In right first place right as you say they double down don't they there, there isn't a politician particularly not a european politician with a wavos big enough to say we screwed up we made a mistake and mm-hmm. we're going to try and do it this way they never do you're absolutely right they will deny 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 and eventually because the majority of the world's population really couldn't give a toss they just want to get on with their lives they want to go to work, do the things that they normally do, enjoy having a family or not having a family, they want to get drunk, they want to go to church, they want to do all these different things. And as long as whatever the politicians are doing, don't get in the way of that, they really couldn't give a toss what's happening in the world. But slowly but surely, shway shway, as they say in Arabic, we are being manipulated into something, and I can see it. But I don't know who's doing it, which is the purpose of this conversation. Mm-hmm. All right.
0: So this is a rather interesting one. I, I've, I've kind of been looking forward to this one because I, I'm quite shocked. I've heard this, right? I've heard this, but I've not taken it seriously ever. Uh, and I still don't. But let's talk about aliens and lizard people. Now, <laughs> um, I've heard I've heard this kind of stuff coming out of uh, David Icke before. OK, like I said, very controversial guy. I've heard this stuff coming out of him, but like I said, I've never taken it seriously and I still don't. You know, I made my my stance on, uh, you know, aliens clear. This whole gray skin, you know, whatever, you know, give me a break. But my stance on it is this. I find it very difficult to believe that we are the only sentient life forms in this entire universe. I find that very hard to believe. That's just me. Uh, now, does that mean that I believe in uh, flying saucers and uh, and and secret, uh, you know, alien experiments at Area Fifty One and and all that stuff? Absolutely not, right? That's crazy. But you know, I do believe that there are other forms of intelligent life somewhere else in the universe. Might not necessarily be obviously within our own solar system, but I, I like to think that there's more than just us.
1: Yeah, but that's not where we're going with this, is it? Really? Well, I don't know.
0: That's why I'm asking. I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's Should my you, take on. When you say aliens, list that's I what gave, I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, yeah. The list I gave were the list of usual suspects, the ones that cons- t- proper tinfoil hat-wearing section should be in a padded room conspiracy theorists go for. Now, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll go for big organizations like we've talked about already. Other times they're talking about other things. But there is this recurring theme of the lizard people and aliens. And I've only put it there in the list so that we've ticked all the boxes so that we've given it full consideration. It may well be that people were speaking metaphorically and their own mental breakdown had caused them to believe that what they were referring to as the archetypal uh, evil geniuses were actually lizard people because they were unfeeling, they were cold-blooded, all the, all those kind of things. So that's why they're there on the list. Uh, they're not meant to be taken seriously. Okay. And I'm glad you mentioned the fact that uh, David Icke, went down that road uh, quite well, publicly on national TV in an interview because he, he he was a famous sportsman and sports presenter, and then he had his breakdown, and then they got him on TV and they rolled him out and they let him uh, speak his mind, and it just made matters worse for him because... Every now and again, he's right on the money with what's happening. But because he made that mistake of uh, accusing aliens and lizard people of being the orchestrators uh, of this great plan, he he lost all credibility. So the only reason they're there, as I said just a moment ago, is so that we've ticked all the boxes for the list of the usual suspects. We've skipped Mm. a few out because they're they're obvious. But just going back to the whole alien thing, have you heard of the, the Carthers? way back in time, they, they were a heretic group of Christians, but they were said to have a head that talked to them. Um, whatever this head was, it was some, you know, th- this is going way back to sort of um, 13th century times. And the Carthers were wiped out of Europe on the grounds of religious heresy because they spoke to inanimate objects and got information from these inanimate objects. Mm. So these these kind of conspiracy theories go way back. They're, they're not anything new. But yeah, let's move on from that. Who are the rest? Well, what else are we going to talk one, about?
0: Actually? One last thing here. One, one last thing, because now now you made me think, right? Now, now you made me think on this. That, I've talked to GP about this before, right? GP goes down to Costa Rica a lot. And yeah. there is uh, there's something down there, right? I've even had you know, people here tell me that that's on their bucket list, right? These are things that they want to do. Now, there is something you can do down there. This, this is an actual... I'm going to name this place, right? I'm going to give them a little plug here. There's a resort. You can look them up online. They're there. It's called Rhythmia, okay? There, there's a uh, there's a resort down there. It's run by a guy named Jerry Powell. And uh, what they are, they're an organization that gets together and they have the whole resort down there. Everything's paid for that, you know, that the you put in, right? All the, all the food and everything's taken care of. But when you're down there, they introduce you to uh, shaman. You know, these are like, I'm talking about like indigenous tribal uh, shaman um, yeah. of of that particular and, place. And they they drink this this substance down there, which I think, I believe it's a sap from a vine in the jungle down there. Uh, and it's called ayahuasca. And you, you can look yeah. this up. And what this does, uh, this allows you to go to... This is what they promote. OK, <laughs> they say mm-hmm. that when you do this, then you go to a place where you meet some. This is going to sound completely insane, but they meet some <laughs> clockwork elves is what they call them. Okay. Um, and they believe that they give you life advice, uh, directions in which to go, you know, which way you need to go. And a lot of people believe that when they go there, I mean, people that that have gone down there and, and done this, you know, it's not cheap to do this. They say that it's been a complete life-changing experience to meet these clockwork elves. I'm I'm not joking. I'm I'm not saying that I believe this. I'm saying that this is what they advertise. People can look this up.
1: I'm I'm not being dismissive because I know this happens. I've heard about it. And the ayahuasca serum that they take is an hallucinogenic. And of course, they've gone there and it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's mass hallucinations. The whole group wants to, wants to experience this. And so they do it and they will come up with whatever fantastic stories and experiences along the lines of what they've been told they're going to experience. Uh, and, and it really is mass hysteria. It's mm. it's nothing, nothing more than that. And it's been going on in all kinds of cultures, you know, further north in, in the North American Plains Indians – have their shaman uh, and they, and going across to Australia, the Aboriginal people of Australia, they have their own dreamlands, they call it. I think it's dreamlands, mm-hmm. which again are induced by mass hysteria and usually some form of narcotic. Uh, people Native in, Americans, vision quest. Yeah, exactly. People in Fiji, for instance, and, and other areas in the Pacific use a substance called kava. And it's supposed to be. Uh, our, mm-hmm. I've sat there with people. I've heard from the, Yeah, of people from the Fijian embassy. We've sat there in our flowery shirts with lays round our necks, just like in the, the Hawaiian tradition. They have that tradition in in a lot of those Pacific islands. And uh, we've sang songs uh, with some guy on a, uh, an electric organ and a guy with a guitar. And we've sang lots of songs and we've drunk this kava which there's a ritual involved with it. And they're like, oh, man, you're going to love this. And to be honest, it it does nothing. It made my my lip tingle slightly. That's it. There was no feeling of euphoria. There was no hallucination. And it's a legal high. So how good can it be? Because let's face it, anything that's really good and will get you there is illegal. So (laughs) (laughs) fair enough. I I take your point. But it's it's mass hysteria. Simple yeah. as that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's get on to our let's get on to our friend here, uh, and then we'll get into oh, some causes. George. Let's get into Mr. George Soros. Let's talk about him. Uh, here's a guy who is uh, by mainstream media, you know, accounts. He's an international philanthropist. Uh, George Soros is. <laughs> <laughs> um, where, where do I start with this guy? He is. Um, let, let's just go say on, that. I... Uh, yeah. Go ahead.
1: Sorry. Bye. Again, we can cut to the chase here. George Soros is so easy to psychoanalyze and get to the bottom of why he does what he does. He was a Hungarian Jew who disguised himself uh, as a Christian to escape the Nazis and then became a Judenrat, someone who would actually point out the Jewish families to the Nazis um, to save his own skin. So his level of morality or his, his moral compass at that point was broken. Perhaps... Uh, it's, it you know, people can not necessarily sympathize, but understand that in the circumstances for that young boy, as he was then, uh, he didn't have much choice. It was do what he was doing or die. So it's easy to see how his moral compass got broken. Now what he's done, I, I'm not sure how he got rich, but he got rich somehow. And then he started to invest and he would create, he's admitted it uh, in interviews that he creates chaos so that he can reap the benefits of chaos. And Mm -hmm. the more and more money he's got, the larger the chaos that he's created or had artificially created uh, has been. So um, I think he's a viable candidate for many conspiracy theorists. But when you look at his total wealth, and again, you've led me and taught me about this guy as well. His net worth is, is about $8 billion, I think. Um, Correct. But, yeah.
0: Well, but that's publicly, the, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the foundations that he's created are worth many, many, many times more than that. So right. he's created that wealth and then put that wealth into these foundations. And right. that's, that's him alleviating, alleviating his guilt from what he did as a teenager. Again, I'm armchair psychoanalyzing the man. So he's got a broken moral compass and he'll do anything he can to make money but at the same time he's got guilt about what he has done and that's why he puts things into the into the, these these charitable foundations but he also pays for the education of these left-wing liberal politicians That have, you know, swamped the Western world of late. And they push this idea. They use the ad hominem to stop the right wing from putting forward objections to what they're planning, such as mass migration, all race politics, race politics, everything. So he's behind the careers of a lot of these politicians that. Quite frankly, get up my nose. Um, one one so, guy, he's
0: one guy whose education he paid for. Since since you mentioned that, one guy's education he paid for. One Western world leader. Well, yeah, you could call him that. I, he's from the uh, the old East Bloc. The Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. He is. He's very anti-Soros. He's actually got billboards up all across Hungary that are anti-Soros. Uh, And he's banned
1: for his education. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But yeah. And Soros paid for his education because he thought, hey, I'll get this guy in here. You know, I'll bring him up. I'll I'll show him the ropes and I will um, be able to control my native Hungary. Well, the Hungarians are a little smarter than that. Uh, And this this guy um, banned all of his foundations and everything ran him out of there.
1: Clearly, the Soros Foundation um, vetting didn't quite work on this guy. (laughs) Apparently not. But you asked how he got all his money. You asked how he
0: got all his money. He initially made his his initial fortune from publicly, by the way. Uh, I mean, I I know where his initial fortune came from. (laughs) He initially made his his initial well, uh, his initial fortune as oddly enough, he's the man who broke the Bank of England.
1: Yeah, but to do that, he needed a lot to begin with, didn't he? He did. You can't he just did. do that. <laughs> he did, so, yeah. That's so, why I said
0: that wasn't his initial fortune. Publicly, that was his initial fortune. But prior yeah, to but that, yeah.
1: That doesn't work. That doesn't work as a public excuse. Um, I agree. Facade.
0: But but it's portrayed that way. Yeah. It's portrayed that way.
1: Yeah. And that's because people don't ask enough questions because people don't care enough. Because most people haven't got stocks and shares it doesn't matter to them you know what's happening to the pound as long as they can keep doing the things that they want to do and for most people that's a fairly simple unassuming standard of living so mm-hmm. people won't question where his money came from to begin with i do and no way was it from breaking the bank of england to break the bank of england you need a lot of money to begin with
0: right yeah i agree with you he is a uh, he is a prime candidate uh, in all this <laughs>
2: yeah bruce you got any thoughts on george soros uh i i would like to start out by saying i am not suicidal that has never crossed my mind no. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about george soros no. we're not talking about hillary clinton yeah yeah um no yeah he he's definitely um He's definitely a world contender. He's definitely someone that that has gone in and manipulated currencies and, and, uh, you know, politicians and whatnot. I don't think he's necessarily trying to create a one world government like he is in a sense, but it's not like he's an organizer of it or whatever. I, I kind of feel like a lot of these are just kind of opportunistic, not just him, but the other organizations we talked about. Except for maybe the UN. They've all kind of been opportunistic and they've just seen an opportunity and are are trying to exploit it for their own ends, their own gains.
0: Right, right. No, I I can agree with that. Soros is... uh, He's a very controversial character. Now, I've seen you know, many interviews with this guy over the years. I have followed him uh, as much as I can. I mean, he's kind of um, the, at the same time, he, he comes out in public, he writes op ed pieces, people pay attention to his portfolio and what he does, because a lot of world financial markets are changed based on the actions that he takes. And so, you know, he's a very influential person, regardless of what you think of his policies. Morally, what he does, in my take, is not right. But I think it has a lot to do with what you said, Marty, about uh, his his previous guilt. But with Soros, particularly, uh, as it relates to what he does from a finance standpoint, the laws that are in place don't really make what he's doing illegal. Now, I'm not trying to defend and saying what he's doing is right, you know, as far as like funding the groups and and the people. And, you know, Bruce, you and I talked about civil society 2.0. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's got his hands all over that. Uh, his foundations and organizations do. And, you know, we'll talk about that at another time, uh, because I think that's that's really that's what we were kind of seeing before all this pandemic stuff was that. But does it make what he's doing illegal? No. Does it make it morally right? No, it doesn't. He's smart enough to understand that what he's doing isn't right. He gets that. In the interviews I've seen of him, he says, I know that what I'm doing is, you know, some would consider to be I'm just paraphrasing here. Uh, he says, I know what I'm doing with someone would consider to be uh, immoral. He says, but if I'm not doing it, someone else will. And he said the same thing about uh, his his take uh, with the Nazis when he was the uh, the Judenrat, when he was pointing out uh, the Jews at that time, having their assets taken uh, and sent off to, uh, uh, to concentration camps. And... At the same time, he said, Look, my organizations, my my foundations, he says we're not breaking any laws. We're operating within the law. He says, and if the laws were to be changed that would directly affect us, we would follow the law. By him saying that, he's essentially laughing in the fact that we don't have a law to go after him the way we should, if that makes any sense. So Yeah,
1: that sorry, just on that point, that's the driver behind all of tonight's conversation. Mm-hmm. We need to establish who the guilty parties are, what they're trying to do to us. So, so that's the first thing: to detect the crime, find the crime, find the appropriate suspect, and then somehow, having established the truth, fight against what they're doing. And it's it's disgraceful, isn't it? That in this day and age, we haven't got the the kind of judicial uh, alacrity, the speed, the wheels of justice turn very very slowly, and it would take by the time he realised that laws were changing that would directly impede him from doing what he does, he'd change his tactic because it takes so long for these laws to, to to be put into place because we're dealing with a global business. You know, currency manipulation is a global business. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. What else can I say on the matter? We, we probably need to move on. If we talk do. Up any- we do.
0: So let's let's get into some of this other stuff. Uh, let's get into uh, th- this is a very controversial thing. Now, we, we want to talk about means here for just a few minutes. What are the means which people that we just named here over the last <laughs> however long? <laughs> There's a lot of players uh-huh. involved there, uh, but they're all relevant. They're, they're all relevant. Uh, well, I know we spent a little bit we spent a lot of time on there. But the important thing is, is that the context that people look at those things, people see them on the surface. We took a deep dive as much as we could based on our own uh, research in each one of those. Now, I mean, this is just stuff that we know on the surface. We could probably sit there and talk for an hour on each one of those individually that we named, but due the interest of time, and I know that we're running over here, today's going to be a little bit longer.
1: As you suggested, let's do the Venn diagrams and group them together so they okay. can cover them quickly. All right.
0: So let's talk social scoring. Let's talk mind control. Let's talk brainwashing, biased mainstream media, and subliminal messages. All right, let's talk these. Because Marty and I have monopolized most of the time here tonight. And again, I do apologize because when we start on these topics, man, I can just ramble and ramble. Let's start with social scoring. By what means will any of the people that we talked on above uh, obtain by social scoring, mind control, brainwashing, mainstream media, and subliminal messages?
2: So in a nutshell, social scoring is just the more or less ruling social engineering brainwashing of the people to follow the principles, edicts, uh, laws, or just basic governances that um, a corporation, a, a, a group, or whoever's running the, the social scoring system, <laughs> really, they don't even have to be laws. It's just nudges in, in different directions, benefits, you know, carrot stick kind of thing. If you do this, you get a treat. And if you don't, well, you don't get the treat and you may get a punishment. So, I mean, what do, what do you gain from that? I mean, you could potentially get world domination doing this. If you get the entire world to take this system, a, a small group of elitists could potentially run the world.
0: This is why I think that social scoring, I think, in my opinion, right, it's interesting you put this on the list, Marty, because I think social scoring and all this, I think that's key to everything. And the reason I say that is because what Bruce just pointed out there is that can be used as a self-sustaining entity, as in governments and people will think, okay, well, we'll, we'll get a hold of that system and we, we will control it. That system itself would be precisely what Bruce just said, a very few people that are actually facilitating that system. And really, they almost become irrelevant because in the end game of, of social scoring is it's controlled by AI. Right, and we're we're seeing the pushes for that now. And so, when you have uh, social scoring, it does all those things. It does, you know, it makes sure that people are controlled. It makes sure that there's brainwashing. It makes sure that there's a biased mainstream media. It makes sure that there's subliminal messages in the advertising and in the TV and in the movies because people will obey. In that system, and we've studied this in depth, right? We, we've studied this in depth. We've studied the the implementation of it, the architecture of it, the theory behind it. You know, most people aren't going to look at that stuff, but this is this is a real possibility. This is exactly what these companies want: is this system. This is a self sustaining, self governing entity in and of itself. And society. The theory under this is that society will police itself. As Bruce said, you do what you're supposed to do. If you obey. You get a treat or you get rewarded in this case. They actually use a system called reward and punishment. The reward is you get extra credits in your account, as in money, right? The digital currencies that they want to bring in. Okay. The punishment would be oh, um, well, we can't offer you that service or we can't give you that higher tier plan you're looking for or. Uh, you know your quality of life is going to uh, to diminish because you won't be able to live in that particular place. Even though you can afford it, your social score is not high enough to be able to live there. So it doesn't qualify you. It's the ultimate system of control, segregation, and domination. That's what it is.
1: Okay. We know, do we not, that the Chinese Communist Party... Are employing social scoring because they've they've got an enclosed yes. internet. Yes, you know their internet. They they have um, different search engines. They have different types of YouTube channel. All the things that most people are using the internet for is self-contained within China. They can't access. People in China cannot access the rest of the world's internet. So they've got an enclosed, captive audience for their social scoring methods and yes ultimately they can as as a single entity they would be able to further put controls onto their people is is that what we're saying with that
2: yes basically yeah
1: yeah well i think the social scoring thing is being used globally i've seen it Uh, and all those other things that are linked in there as well the biased media the subliminal messaging advertising lots of imagery in film and drama, types of documentary, it's all there. But it's different organisations that are applying that to the populaces. So I think we can draw a ring round the Chinese Communist Party. But of course, they are, and I I think Russia here, which was on our list as well, which we never really talked about, with the tens of thousands of bots that are there creating content on people's Facebook feeds and so on and so forth that are spreading an image that they want to use to manipulate or images that they want to use to manipulate. The important mm-hmm. thing is, for this podcast anyway, is that for any one of those means, we identify who we think with a reasonable level of certainty that they're using it. So so we can identify actual suspects from our mm-hmm. list of suspects, all ones that we might not have thought of rather than just say they, which I caught you doing, but I know you meant in yeah that context. I, I'm sorry, it's a habit, um, it's a force of habit. I know, and, and it that's the habit that we as intelligent people need to break. So we don't let the conspiracy theorist get away with they are gonna do this, they will do that. Who? Say who? Because I you know, I think people's uh, anxiety levels, stress levels mine included, are going through the roof at the moment with the lockdown and all the other things that are going on in the world. And the last thing anyone needs is another conspiracy theory that sounds convincing, but as soon as you poke at it, it starts to fall apart. What we want Mm -hmm. is a theory, the guilty party, who's doing it, and to understand what they hope to gain by doing it. Because if Mm -hmm. we can do that, We can stop it. You mentioned
0: there about, um, you know, having some extra anxiety, you know, lockdown and all that stuff. Let's talk about pandemics. Now, who stands to gain from this? Well, as we said, the Chinese Communist Party, they're gaining from it simply because our economy shut down. Our infrastructure is, is I mean, it's non-existent uh, at the moment. Well, it, it's bare minimum at the moment. Our livestock, our crops all being plowed under and euthanized. Why that's happening, I don't know. That That's just crazy. That that kind of nonsense doesn't even need to be going on. But as far as this goes, the Chinese are, are benefiting from this. The World Health Organization certainly are benefiting from this. The United Nations are benefiting from this. I don't see how the EU could benefit from this. If anything, that's exacerbated the problem here and made it 10 times worse. And you've even got EU leaders saying that, hey, this is probably going to collapse on us because they're not able to hold it together. They basically told the countries to fend for themselves. And now they won't help them financially. The, some of the other ones like Spain and Italy, they won't help them. And it's actually gone yeah. so far as to having the United States send medical supplies to the Italians to help them out because Brussels won't do it. And that's, that's not even really widely talked about.
1: We skipped over some of the usual suspects for good reason, because we're running out of time. But when we talked about those the other day in our private conversation, we described some of them as useful idiots. Do you yes. not think that that's what the EU is in this particular case? Yes,
0: they're they're gophers. That's absolutely what they are. They're they're useful idiots. They they are doing what they're told. Who are they appeasing by doing what
1: they're told? Well, well, I think there are. Yeah, I think they think they're appeasing the world health organization because it's a group of experts who know what to do in this situation, but who are the world health organization appeasing Uh by the sounds of it, the Chinese communist party. So, Uh so we're getting back and back to, you know, if, if I was a detective now in a, in a TV series, I'd have a load of photographs on a big (laughs) board and I'd be slowly removing them until I've got this clear link to the guilty party. Uh Um, party party's no accident there. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Where were we? So we've talked uh, about.
0: Well, yeah, pan- pandemics. i I'll just finish on pandemics here. I mean, the, all this is this going on with the pandemic. I mean, we're, we're being told, hey, you know, we, we need to we need to stay locked up in our houses. You know something? We're, we're done with this. OK, I, I'm a patient man, but I'm done. OK, I've had enough. And I'm sure most people out there have had enough, too. The numbers of this thing are no worse than the flu. We're, we're six to eight weeks into this. Now you say, OK, well, we're going to see a spike in cases. Of course, they're going to say that. They're going to say that because they're going to want to rein in power and more control. So the longer we stay locked down, right? We talked about this the other day with GP. The longer we stay locked down, and you heard us play clips of a couple of doctors, two immunologists, right? Longer we stay locked down, the worse our immune systems get. We have to get back out into society. For a 0.1% death rate, we're talking flu numbers, okay? This has a 99% survivability rate. Are we going to lock down every year now that we have a flu? Is that what we're going to do? Because we don't need to be doing that.
1: Last week in the UK, 4,000 people died in care homes. So these are the homes for the elderly to go into where they need 24-hour care and 4,000 people died in them. I'm not entirely sure how many people we've got living in care homes, but I think the number's around about 650,000. And the mortality rate in 2019 which we spoke about a few days ago and again i haven't got the numbers right in front of me but i think what you just said is 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 pretty close to the truth that normal causes of death flu being one of them in 2019 gave us a a very similar mortality rate the main issue is here in the uk we're being told we are um, having the worst number of deaths the highest number of deaths for any European country that has gone through this infection. So we're following Italy's model, and that's currently our curve is steeper than Italy's was. Um, and the Americans but are really I think, the same. Yeah. And I think that it's the way in which deaths are being recorded. Now, if anyone in mm-hmm. a care home uh, or hospital for that matter, but usually the care homes, if the care home has had a case of COVID 19 in it, and then somebody dies from pneumonia or Another cause, which could be, you know, seen as natural causes—heart failure, organ failure, those kind of things—those deaths are being recorded as COVID nineteen deaths. So mm-hmm. our our daily number of COVID nineteen deaths, of course, is is being yeah. I'm going to use the word it, it, it. It's being forced up. Yeah. So that they'll give the reason that they're airing on the side of caution. I would say that there's cause for suspicion. They won't admit they're wrong. They won't admit they're wrong. Again, we mentioned that earlier on, that politicians these days haven't got the, what would you rather be used? The the Spanish term or the, the English term? I go English, why not? They haven't got the balls to admit when they're wrong because their grip on their power is so tenuous that they think that by admitting they're wrong, they will lose face. They will get immediately deselected, forced to resign, all all those kind of things. Because the people who are in politics these days are in it for their own gain. They are mass-produced, plastic, you know, turned out as if it was on some kind of 3D printer. You know, wait five years and you've got another baby politician out of the university system. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of these mass-produced politicians are paid for by certain, you know, their education's Are paid for by grants from charitable charitable foundations such as the george soros foundation Mm -hmm.
0: okay let's talk 5g all right we'll make this our last point okay so uh, which i I really want to get and you know something we'll talk about i will keep this list and i tell you what we will revisit this and we'll talk about the other points on that Uh, we'll we'll set that up for next week though how's how's that sound that sounds good to me because you know there's still good points on here 5g uh let's talk 5g so uh who stands to gain from this uh, in my opinion, at this point, all these people, well, not, not all of them, okay, the, 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 some of these people that we named, I think the EU uh, stands to gain from this. I think, obviously, the, the CCP... You know, Chinese Communist Party they stand to gain from this because of the Huawei deals that they've got in various countries you know which we've talked about especially in in the UK which I think that deal is still in uh, up in the air at the moment the World Health Organization I don't see them uh, benefiting from that however the United Nations yes and especially okay to George Soros and another group that we didn't mention that we didn't get a chance to talk on uh, Davos attendees that particular group you know big corporate owners uh, corporation owners finance heads it, it covers
1: a multitude of sins doesn't it
0: it does, it does. But 5G, look, you know, I, I've made the argument several times about 5G. I've, I've got a lot of gripes with it, and none of which is associated with this uh, this this virus nonsense. Okay, I, I, that's not my argument with it. My argument with it has always been, why do we need it? Now they want 5G. When I say they, I just did it again, right? They want the groups yeah. that I listed there, right? They would benefit in this sense, okay? Because I'm, I'm naming who they are. So <laughs> Yeah, um,
1: that's so. The groups,
0: are. the groups I named, they would benefit from 5G. Why would they benefit from 5G? The simple infrastructure point of it, they would benefit from. They would own the towers. They own the telecom companies, right? The Davos attendees, those are telecom execs. Right, they own the telecom companies, so they're going to benefit. George Soros would benefit because he has investments in the telecom companies. <laughs> the United Nations would benefit because they are going to be over the regulations of the infrastructure things, such as how driverless cars are going to be implemented. Tech companies, what that was actually one group that I would like to uh, that I would like to discuss one of these days. Uh, that was that should have been part of the uh, the list that was up there on top. The Chinese Communist Party, obviously, they benefit because 5G is is Huawei. Uh, And Bruce, I believe you even pointed out that they're working on 6G uh, in some of their cities, which we don't even have five yet. So what's the point now? Why? Okay, robotics, right? They want robotics. They want robotics. You need a 5G backbone to operate them. Drones. They want drones for enforcement because they know that police won't continue to follow orders forever. Right. We're seeing the initial stages of drone use now, aren't we? Yelling at people, telling people to, to go home, wash your hands, social distance properly. That's what 5G is going to be used for, more advanced drones uh, and 6G later on down the line, autonomous cars. They want to be able to use that in conjunction with social scoring to be able to control where you go, who you see, where you're allowed to to go to and, and things of that nature, or if you're even allowed to travel. So they need 5G for that. All those groups that I listed there, when I say they, they all benefit from all that because it gives them abject control and not you, the individual. So that's my take on 5G with those groups.
1: Well, I applaud you for first of all naming who you thought stood to gain and then describing how they're going to achieve it and what and what they and possibly what they hope to achieve through 5G. I am of a very similar opinion to you, but this whole uh, conspiracy theory uh, and, and ridiculous pseudoscience about five G high frequencies, you know, exposure to to microwave frequencies causing viruses. Who kicked that off? Why would someone kick that off? I don't even know the answer. To that. I've I can see the people who are scientists or, or doctors that have gone onto to YouTube and put out quite lengthy explanations of how this is is happening. Who's driving them? Are they just mental individuals, mad individuals, or are they being you know, asked to do it by some other they? I'm not sure about that. But from the perspective of why do we need it and what do they intend to do with it, I think you've hit the nail on the head, Johnny.
2: Yeah, I guess I'm the one that's uh, kind of supportive of 5G. I-, I agree with the concerns with 5G. They definitely need it, for example, China. They need 5G, even 6G, for... Their infrastructure of uh, surveillance cameras, you need the bandwidth to, you know, uh, send the data through, especially yeah. when they go to the high definition cameras. You know, the, the higher definition ones that they they had one up on top of a tower. Um, 500 uh,
0: megapixel or something.
2: Yeah, it was crazy. It was and the amount of data that you would require to to transmit that in, uh, you know, live video is enormous.
0: Something but, like an HD photo fo- or an HD resolution from a mile out or something. It was something crazy. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you could zoom in pretty. Yeah, from a mile away, you could see people's faces or something like that, and be able to identify them with facial recognition. It's absolutely crazy the the fidelity it has. But those are the the bad aspects of it, right? And five G is just a tool. It's not inherently good or evil. You know, it's it's who's using it. There's good things that come out of it, like you know, I've talked about it before. Doctors will be able, you'll be able to have top the top physician operate on you from across the planet over a 5G network and the amount of delay is uh you, you know you using robotics and and this 5G network is in the in the vicinity of 4 to 5 milliseconds we're we're talking almost absolutely no like you know that that's much faster than you could blink your eyes right that is phenomenal like the kind of advancements we could make in those areas is you know, we, we could save lives doing this kind of thing. Robotics, uh the other thing that was brought up, I'm for having more robotics and whatnot. Like, if we can combine robotics and AI together, uh, you could have, again, in the medical field, an AI is more precise in diagnosis uh, of, an, of an issue. Then you could have a robotic surgeon that can go in and precisely operate on you and and you know with much less chance of any, any, anything going wrong you know an, an accident happening and uh, you know the, the 5g network would be the medium to to transmit the data so there there are some really good things that 5g can bring us but there's also some equally terrifying things
1: yeah i totally take your point if you look at the daily work of a of a highly skilled surgeon he spends Quite a lot of his day in between each patient, disrobing, scrubbing his hands, re-robing in clean stuff and going back into the theatre. If he's doing it all from a remote location via a 5G or 6G network, and so the the robotics that are wielding the scalpel and whatever, the suture needle, then he he can get more operations done in, in, in a single day. It simply saves time. But do we really need it? Are we talking, what's the difference between three operations a day and two operations a day? Yes, one more person. Why not just train more doctors to that level? Again, was it Jefferson? If we give up our freedoms and the hope of security, we get and deserve neither. Uh, I think that's what's happening with 5G, with the AI surveillance. There are loads of ways of compressing a digital signal. Quadrature amplitude modulation. When you've got a camera... A surveillance camera that's looking at a field of green grass for the majority of the time, it's just going green, 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 green for each pixel. That gets compressed into a much, much shorter message and sent to the computer that's recording it all as digital compression. So there's other ways as well. Cable TV and satellite TV put different types of programs into transport streams so that you've got maybe one fast action lots of movement where you can't have digital compression program alongside seven other fairly slow sedate programs. So if each two meg transport stream can carry eight channels of varying levels of activity, I don't fully accept the the fact that we need all this extra coverage for 5G to still operate all those systems. Mm. If it's all about remote control cars, or sorry, self-driving cars. I don't want one anyway. So if it is a problem, and we do have to have it from China, who we don't trust, let's forget about it until we can make it ourselves. Uh, let's get into our uh, closing points here. I've got quite a... Well, it's not a long one, because I can read it, because I wrote it to you the other day. What possible gain is there? It's not money. That's easy enough. And most of the usual suspects are already rich beyond measure is it control? If it is, what controls are they trying to exercise? What freedoms are they trying to take from us? As a citizen uh, of a civilised democratic society, what do I expect from that civilization? Well, I expect a future for my offspring that gives them the same or better choices that I had. To vote in fair elections for the candidate I want or party that most represents my point of view a safe, comfortable life free from state interference as long as I stay within the law, the opportunity to travel, freedom to love who I want so long as it uh, is mutual and legal, the right to own my own home, just laws and just law enforcement, affordable food and drink, uh, to be entertained and to be respected as an individual. There's other things that we all want, but the state is not or should not be responsible for providing it. But all should at least maintain an environment where individuals can get what they want and need within the traditional levels of morality and decency, so that 's where I stand with what I want out of life and out of civilization. What I want to know is how will I really know when I'm losing these basic rights and how can I stop it and the only way I can do that is to identify the guilty party once we've identified the guilty parties and we've worked out what means they're using, we can then counter it. Conspiracy theories without identifying for certain who's doing what help no one. Uh, And that's really the driver for me wanting to talk about this tonight.
0: Mm-hmm. I love what you had to say. That was very uh, was very inspiring. I, I like how you articulated all that. But you know, you got me thinking when you said that we wanted to talk about at the end of this where we thought we needed to go uh, for each of our takes. Though I agree with you in your uh, your take there and your assessment on on where you think that things uh, need to be. I have a little more to add to that. Me personally, I've done a lot of research over the last decade or so uh, into a lot of different groups, a lot of history, uh, a lot of different forms of government. A lot of ideologies, geopolitics, and all that stuff. And I tell you what, I've learned a lot. It, it, it's quite humbling in a way to to learn about that stuff because you realize when you start reading about that stuff even our own history I mean stuff that's just kind of you know it's there I mean it's it's documented it's 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 hard fact it's it's hard to deny it makes you realize just how little you know <laughs> when you when you start going into that uh, and it's it's really it's opened my eyes to a lot of things uh and, it, and it's allowed me to to think critically and and on my own but what do I expect from civilization well I've done a lot of reading about civilizations you know Mar- Marty you and I've uh, read similar books on different forms of uh you know how civilizations rise and fall uh, and it's it's fantastic to, uh, to learn on that stuff. But, you know, I want people to have a solid foundation underneath of them. Uh, you know, this is why we fought the wars up until this point, but there's always wars to be fought, right? It's, it's always going to happen, right? This moment in history is no different, right? We've got the same wars, the same enemies, but it's different tactics and different battlefields, right? We're in a war right now, whether you like that or not, whether you're aware of it or not, it's happening, right? It's happening. It's happening now. You can see it uh, if you know where to look. We're at war with an idea that seeks to eliminate our very relevance as human beings. We talked about it with 5G when I was, when I was uh, touching on that, that segment there with 5G. Robotics, right? That's, a, in my opinion, that's a sense of bringing in an infrastructure that's going to make you and I and everyone else we know irrelevant, right? They want the control of that system to manage you, to manage me. To manage your community, to manage your nation, however you want to put it. You have a right to protest. You have a right to speak out. You have a right to vote. You have a right to work. You have a right to own land. You have a right to travel. You have a right to contribute. You have a right to choose. You have a right to exist, right? That's a human right, everything that I just mentioned, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But our own negligence has allowed the most corrupt and selfish trash to gain the control in this world. It's not power, it's control, right? We, the people, have the power, they do not. And they know that this is why they seek to dominate in different aspects and vie for control amongst themselves for power in the structure that they've established for themselves to operate. So to them, we as the people, we've become irrelevant right? This is, this is their way of thinking, these groups that we mentioned tonight. So in their mind, we must be made to obey and accept what they deem to be as non-essential. You notice the terms they use now, essential, non-essential workers. You never thought of it like that, did you? They're already getting us used to those terms. Governmental bodies, no matter what they do, they seek to dominate and control populations. Uh, supply lines, right? To maintain that stranglehold. Example, North Korea. We talked on North Korea tonight. Food production, that's all state run over there, right? It's Everything that that's that happens over there as it relates to food is all state run. People have the right in their own lands to grow their own food and be self-sufficient. What are we seeing? All right, I talked about American farmers. American farmers are plowing their crops under right now. They're euthanizing their livestock. All the while, we're importing beef from Namibia. right. Corrupt power establishments need to grab control of production. And once they grab control of food, they can control you. And if you don't do what's expected of you, then you just simply won't eat. I heard it yesterday. I I just heard this yesterday uh, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He says uh, it was just it was a video of a a rancher that's that's having his his crops uh, and his product destroyed right now. And he says that maybe Maybe people going cold and hungry and being in the dark would be a good thing. Now, it's not because you want needless suffering of people. That's a terrible thing. But because that might be the only way to wake people up in all this laws. Marty, you talked about laws. Laws have to be just and fair and they have to be made relevant for all individuals, no matter who they are or what office they hold. Do we see that? Do we see fair and just laws when you have states telling you to stay locked in your homes or you'll be arrested or fined when you come out or plant flowers and you can't fish? all the time while they open up prisons. What happened in the last few years? Brexit, Donald Trump, populations using their own respective democratic systems to fight back against what we've discussed tonight. Globalization. It's an abject failure. Look what it's done. The systems in place for 70 years to attempt to unify the globe are all dead on arrival, right? I don't like any of these systems. We, we had our own opinions that we voiced on each one of these systems. It's an establishment of people working together, otherwise against a common enemy of which they can't compete with. It's fear that drives these people. It's a neurotic system. And like any neurotic system, it's driven by fear. They've been weakened, by Brexit and by Donald Trump. What happens when a long-held establishment gets weakened? It panics. It gets whipped up into this insane frenzy of hatred, fear, and paranoia until the whole thing just becomes a madhouse. So the chaos and disarray that we see in the media and by the average person out there that doesn't even know what end is up, that's the system tearing itself apart. You know, I told Bruce last night, I said, look, people know who the good guys are, right? They're not completely gone. Uh, People, I mean, we're the good guys. We're real, we're genuine, we're sincere, and most of all, we're ourselves and we tell the truth. That's all we've ever done here. You know, this is the very antithesis of media outlets, mainstream media outlets. We talked on mainstream uh, media and, and how they uh, how they manipulate people and how the systems use it. Big tech companies and political offices, uh, you know, th- they all know that they're irrelevant. So what we're seeing is is no different than um, you could almost you could almost compare it to Operation Nero by the Nazis an in game plan. They were going down. Right. The allies were closing in on them. So what were they doing? They were destroying all the infrastructure. Right. Same in the United States. Everything's in decay. The, the prisons are being opened up. So this is the adage of, well, if we can't have it, you're not going to have it. So their time is over. This is the end game of the establishment in the West. And now they're just making horrible vies at, at who's going to control what and and soft and hard power grabs. That's what all this is. It's a mentality. Now with the current world order, they're at war with our way of life. And more than that, it's our very existence. They're going to use tech companies to further the gain of power that they desperately seek. You can see it, right? Technocrats is the correct term. What of the present world order do I, do I want to remain unchanged? Well, in my opinion, very little. These groups and topics that we pointed out today, though they have good aspects and points in and of themselves, have been dufully taken over by the worst criminal element on this planet. And it's time for them to fall. We can't move forward as a human civilization with these current individuals in the positions of authority that they're in now can we stop that from happening yeah i think we can uh but that's going to require a few things people have to get out of their bubbles get out of that woke mentality demand a redress of grievances A knowledgeable public, critical thinking people who can extrapolate ideas is what it's going to take. You know, I I saw that uh, I saw sports get turned off and all this, right? This uh, football shut down, baseball shut down, auto racing, you name it. You know, I thought just maybe I thought maybe it's just a hard break will snap people out of it somehow. Well, that kind of rebounded. All people did was double down, which is what we talked about tonight a little bit. They want more of it because they're lost in what they think is something that really matters. Look at American sports. It was dying. The numbers were down, the ticket sales in the stadium started to empty, but now we're right back where we started, right? My point is, is that you matter. Your family matters. Your decisions about your life and your communities and your existence matter, not some sports star, right? People have to self-educate. You have to learn for yourself and piece things together to form your own opinion and be an individual. The world needs leaders and it needs leadership. These individuals that we're dealing with are not leaders, They don't put forth leadership. They're repressors and destroyers. And worst of all, they're anti-human. Now, think about that. They themselves are human, yet they're anti-human. That's sad. They're sad. They're pathetic, miserable people who selfishly project everything of themselves onto the world. The fear, the paranoia, the despair, the no hope, the racial politics, the anti-family, the dumbed down education, the social justice warrior woke mentality. They think you and I are stupid. I don't. I don't think people are stupid. I believe in people. I believe in humanity. I believe in myself. I believe in you. I believe that's the very element that they don't have that they seek to destroy for you, for me, for your family, for your country, because it makes them feel better. How pathetic of a human being must you be to push that agenda? What do I expect from a civilization? Well, it's simple. I don't ask for a whole lot. I'm a simple man. Freedom, prosperity, private property, laissez-faire capitalism, free market commerce, the right to worship, independence, true liberalism, not this fake liberal garbage, the true liberalism, the, the renaissance what built Western civilization, local communities, the systems of checks and balances, innovation, real human progress, good medicines, the right to be safe and secure of yourself, the right to self-defense, and most of all, the biggest thing that we've abandoned in all this, logic, reason, and common sense. That's all I had tonight, gentlemen
1: you deserve a clap for that mate that's pretty good thank you mate cheers
0: thank you for your time tonight Marty I appreciate you being here Uh, as always man it's, uh, it's great to have you here speak to you soon and from all of us here wherever you are in the world we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible we love you and we love freedom and independence and together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas so we'll see all of you tomorrow